0: Good morning, guys. Um, I'd like to pray again if you don't mind. So, sorry about that. (laughs) Dear Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach your word. I pray that it would be helpful. I pray that I would be effective and that I would not fear those around me but fear you most of all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Luke Bobby. I don't think that's many of you, but for the few that are here, many call me Bobby, since my last name sounds more like a first name. So don't be confused when someone calls me Bobby. A lot of people get a little frustrated. They're like, I thought your name was Luke. Well, yes, it is, but it's also Bobby. (laughs) I just graduated from Liberty University with a biblical studies degree, and I hope to attend the Expositor Seminary in the fall of 2023. Because of my aspirations, I have been given the opportunity to teach in our summer series. Thank you, Clay and Rich. and Tim's not here, but Tim helped me out as well. If you're new, um, you might need a reminder, or maybe you just need a reminder because you haven't been paying attention very well. This summer, we've been studying each of the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. This week, I have the privilege of teaching about the virtue of self-control. It might be one of the hardest virtues to find within our culture today. The idea that we might have to control our desires or say no to something that we crave is unacceptable. We are constantly told to look within ourselves. That's where our true self is, after all. To deny ourselves, uh, we're all surrounded by people every day who exemplify the opposite of self-control, or as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, those given over to the deeds of the flesh. The people whom I interact with on a regular basis, they don't exercise self-control. They're given over to drunkenness, hookups, envy, fits of anger, etc. Perhaps the most evident case of the lack of self-control is the sexualized nature of our culture. Many people are enslaved to their lustful desires, which has resulted in pornography and other sexual sins in our culture. You may have heard through media or people around you that you can enjoy the fun of sex without any emotional strings attached. Those who partake in the sexualized culture around us are lacking self-control. As rampant as these sins are in our culture, they're not only a struggle outside the church, but also a struggle here within the church. Many young men especially are enslaved to pornography and other sins. But this must not be a part of the church. As Paul says in Ephesians 5.3, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. What I would like to show you today is that Christian self-control is a unique quality which can be cultivated properly with the help of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Today we're going to take some time and think through what the Bible says about self-control. I want to do this by asking two questions. First, what is self control? And next, we'll ask the question where can we grow in self control? And we're going to go through each one of these, so you don't have to worry about writing them down right now. Just maybe write down the first one. So, what is self control? Self control is a particularly hard fruit to define biblically, since we have preconceived ideas about what it is. Additionally, The word used in Galatians 5 is sparsely used in the New Testament and even the Septuagint. Virtually every lexicon I can find defines the term simply as self-control, which wasn't really helpful, with one exception, defining the term well by describing it as self-mastery. After studying this topic for a few weeks, now I want to offer you this definition. Though it's a bit long, I'm going to break it down for you piece by piece. It's already up there. (laughs) Christian self-control is the spirit-given skill of controlling your actions motivated by the word of God. If you want to say it more succinctly, the spirit-given ability to not act upon your desires. Douglas Moo points out that some scholars would argue self-control is a deliberate contrast with the last two works of the flesh. Whether intended by Paul or not, The contrast is certainly evident, he says. I believe Moo is right in pointing out this contrast. We can all agree that those who are unregenerate have no control over their desires. Other parts of Scripture further demonstrate this contrast as well. Listen to what Proverbs 27.20 says. One who stares in anger is an abomination to the Lord, and the undisciplined lack control of the tongue. Notice also in Second Peter 1, four through six. Open your Bibles with me. Peter notes that his recipients escaped corruption, resulting in self-control. this is going to be our primary passage today, with the exception of one other, so you probably just want to stick there. Second Peter 1: four through six. All right. I'm going to start in verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent provinces so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The contrast of scripture is clear that self-control is not being evidenced by someone who indulges in every pleasure of life without discrimination. Maybe now you're saying, yes, Luke, I understand. Self-control is not easy. I would be right there with you, understanding that the opposite of self-control is really easy for me. In many areas of my life, I find myself frustrated with my lack of self-control. Social media and Netflix binging are two areas I've been spending time with the Lord to cultivate better habits. Many of you may struggle with a healthy schedule, reading your Bible, or setting time aside to pray. It's important to understand that if you desire better self-control, you must not work at it vainly like the Pharisees. In Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three, twenty-five, 25, Jesus offers a great condemnation to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Lest we fall into the same trap, let's look at each part of the definition. Self-control involves controlling your actions. Though we have been changed by the gospel and the Holy Spirit, There is a reality that we have the old man waging war against the new man. As a result, our actions may not fall in line like we expect. These old desires are still fully operative. James describes these desires as earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. The culture is right that your desires are the real you, but it's the true you the fallen you, in Adam. A large part of self-control is not acting on those desires. We may have them, but knowing that Christ has saved us and given us a new heart demonstrates that we must not follow these desires. Consider how opposite this is from our current culture. If you were to ask a secular therapist for help with your pornography addiction, they would likely suggest, Those desires are a natural part of life. Don't beat yourself up. Or, watching porn isn't hurting anyone. It's completely normal. These women consented, so it's okay. There's a plethora of other scenarios here. Go out and do something for yourself. Love yourself. So much falsehood is wrapped up in the cultural talking points. Somehow, because a desire is natural, it makes it okay. But what does Christ say? That road leads to death. Apart from him, we are powerless to fight these desires. This is why the next part of the definition is that. It's spirit given. Given that self-control is a fruit of the spirit, it's spirit given. When I read my definition to a friend to make sure it's clear, he said, yeah, that's good, but isn't it obvious that it's spirit given since it's a fruit of the spirit? Well, I agreed with him. He makes a pretty good point. But Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were once dead in our sin. Consider the strength of the language there. Dead people do not raise themselves to life. Further down, he states that we were made alive in Christ and that we were saved by grace through faith. And we were given good works that were prepared for us ahead of time. Christ has gone to the fullest extent to bring about our salvation. Philippians 2 shows that Christ went to be humiliated. I mean, think about it. Christ was humiliated on our behalf. And as a result, you have new desires. And the ability to say no to following your desires. Unbelievers, they don't have this unique ability to say no to their desires. We can see this demonstrated through our own culture's demise. But you don't have to give in to those desires. Christ's blood has been shed on your behalf. You are a new creation. If you are in Christ, turn to your loving Savior who has promised to complete the good work which he has begun in you. Knowing that our self-control is spirit-given gives us confidence knowing that we can complete the race. For those of you who are tempted to think that it cannot be done, be reminded that you have been given a new heart. It can be done, but only because the Spirit is at work within you. If he wasn't, your efforts would be an exercise in futility, but they're not. This truth also squashes any sense of pride you might be tempted to have. Any success you have in this area is surely because of Christ's work in you. You must remind yourself along the way that you were dead and Christ raised you. Not by your own efforts, but by God's grace. You must give all glory to God for any success that you have. And to cultivate this fruit through the help of the Spirit, you must use the means which he's ordained, which leads to the next point. Self-control is motivated by the word of God. Let's look at verse 3 of 2 Peter 1. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Look back and notice what he says. His divine power has granted to us everything through the true knowledge of him. God has granted to us these things through the true knowledge of him. But we must continue to develop our knowledge of Him after we have been saved. This means that your pursuit of self-control, you must motivate yourself by the commands and truth of Scripture. This is one of the most helpful truths in my Christian walk, is that Scripture is the only thing that will motivate me into overcoming my sin. Even more in your pursuit of self-control. There are so many influencers or motivational speakers who encourage you to develop self-control by simply going to the gym more or setting boundaries. Here are just a few suggestions I found after a quick Google search. Do something out of your comfort zone one time every day. Exercise for at least 30 minutes a day. Not really a bad idea. Read something uplifting every day. My first thought in reading that one was... How do you define uplifting? What is uplifting? Wake up and go to sleep at the same time. This is really not a bad idea, as my roommates know, especially for me. These are just a few, and though these may not be bad or even they might be helpful, our desire should be inward transformation, which will only happen when we are seeking out the truth of the word of God to motivate us. As we find this truth, we must use it to develop self-control in our lives. So how do you motivate yourself practically? Later I'm going to discuss specific instances and motivations, but the overarching idea is that you must seek out truth as you read the scripture. I can tell myself every day that I should stop binging Netflix. And I should. But when I realize truths... Like God has redeemed me and gifted me to get after good works, not to waste time in things that don't matter. That's a major motivation to limit my time in Netflix so that I can pursue things that are eternally fruitful. This is just a simple example of a truth that motivates us to exercise self-control. And that means we've got to know the truth, right? This will only happen as you familiarize yourself with it. This is done by sitting under the teaching of your pastors in personal reading. As you find the truth in Scripture, you must consider, how will this truth apply in the area of self-control? As you learn from the pastors about the Scripture, you will certainly be challenged with other truths as well. You must put effort into this process, which is why I say, it is a skill. Self-control is a skill. Yes, yes, We must seek out truth and be motivated by the word of God while understanding that all our work is spirit-empowered. However, we must put work in developing the skill. Self-control will not happen by you sitting around and being frustrated by your lack of it. You must get up and do something about it. As the scripture confronts and motivates you with certain truths, Now you must press on towards developing self-control, considering these truths. As we established, self-control is not natural. If this is true, that means your efforts will certainly not be easy. But God has ordained this process as a means of your sanctification. Like any other skill, self-control does not happen overnight. I remember years ago... My grandfather and I spent time remodeling a house that he owned to sell. I was astonished at how much he knew about different things. Frustration set in a lot for me because I knew so little. Looking back now, I realize that my grandfather spent many years studying, observing, and practicing these skills. He didn't become a carpenter overnight. He spent his whole life developing these skills you must do the same with self-control, knowing that it is Christ who works within you. So let's review what we've discussed so far. Christian self-control involves controlling your actions. This is unique from your typical self-help type discipline because it's given by the Spirit as a result of our new nature. To develop it, you must be motivated by the Word of God in that you seek out biblical truth to motivate the change of your desires. All along the way, you must put in work, just like any other skill. Finally, I think we need to discuss some areas that we could grow in self-control, specifically in Boundless, and how to grow in these areas. So where can we grow in self-control? Or you could call this section, Self-Control Applied. I want to highlight some specific areas to develop better self-control. This is a short list, and not exhaustive, of course. But hopefully these will demonstrate how to apply truth to specific situations. The first one is money. This is where I most often notice a need in my own life. Spending money without control is certainly dangerous. We look at something we perceive as a need... And buy it without considering other responsibilities. It's too easy to not be thankful for what the Lord has given you and envy others, resulting in buying things that are not needed. Growing up, I had a friend who we used to make fun of for being a penny pincher. Often, when we went out to eat, he would hardly buy anything and just eat at home later. When new things were released, He was hesitant to buy until the price went down. As a result of him being wise with his money, he has now successfully gone through college with little to no debt. In his job, he manages a farm, which pays pretty well. At the age of 23, he's now able to support a family, buy a house, or whatever need he might have. The truth is, managing your money is hard. I can personally attest to that. But God has given us truth to motivate us to do so. Notice the apostles' claim about themselves, even in the passage today. Peter introduces himself as a slave to Christ. We must understand that if we were to make any effectual progress in this area, that we are not our own. We are slaves to Christ. Being a slave to Christ is not a negative thing, because Christ is a perfect master. Unlike sin, who was our master before. Second, we must understand that we are slave. Sorry. <laughs> Second, we must understand that because we are slaves to Christ, our money is not ours. We're simply stewarding God's money for the sake of His glory. And finally, you must understand the benefits of managing our money. For those who desire marriage, you want to be prepared and to support a family one day. Or for those who enjoy giving to others, you can be a more effective giver. There are really many benefits to managing your money well. These are just a few. But money's not the only area we need self-control in. Arguably, the most important area that you need some self control in is the area of purity. There are so many areas that this applies to. Unfortunately, pornography is even within the church. This results in many different problems because of being desensitized of sex. We are more likely to break boundaries in dating relationships, dress more provocatively, or watch shows that depict sinful acts. Our culture is constantly berating us with the idea that sexual desires are perfectly fine to fulfill in any way we want. But what does Christ say in his word? Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs 6, starting at verse 25. This passage contains one of the most motivating warnings of Scripture. The language here is strong. So pay attention as I read. Starting in verse 25, Proverbs 6. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire On his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find. And his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man. And he will not spare on the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts. To give in to sexual temptation is to heap coals on your lap. It's like scorching your feet. No sensible person would ever purposely burn themselves. He also says that the one who commits adultery lacks sense. He's essentially saying that you're out of your mind to go near the harlot. Because the sin is like vomit. Notice also Jesus' words in Matthew 5:30. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. (laughs) Jesus says it would be better for you to have no hand than to partake in this sin because it leads to destruction. (laughs) If you're listening right now and you're in habitual impurity, Christ has a word for you. Cut off your hand. You're heaping coals into your own lap. You are walking into destruction. Christ is lovingly showing you these commands today so that you might flee from this sin. Though his words are harsh or stern, they're perhaps the best thing you can hear today. He has many blessings for you in giving up this sin. Your conscience will no longer be inflamed. If you are in Christ and in habitual sin the Holy Spirit is constantly grieved. (laughs) Giving into this sin is likely having you frustrated, depressed, defeated, whatever you want to call it. But Christ has promised to bring you out of this sin. Heed his warnings and you will be free to love others, pursue a proper marriage, and be an effective member of the body. (laughs) We find great joy here at Timberlake in seeing others come out of sin. And we know that Christ does too. So how do you come out of this sin? I think the first step is to confess it to someone who can help. I'm not talking about meeting with your friend every week who's also struggling. But someone who's made great progress in this area. Look to older men and women who can help you. If there is someone to trust, they will be willing to tell you how it is. And even be stern at times to help you know the seriousness of your sin, but know that this is for your good. In doing this, you should heed their advice, commit to memory the warnings of Scripture, and look forward to the blessings to come from repenting of this sin. The next area that I think we need to grow in is social media. Social media is unique. To only our time in history. It's very difficult to navigate because we've never experienced it before. Among those who are college days, there is very little self-control practiced. Many who desire preeminence will create blogs, YouTube channels, or other social media platforms to attempt to contribute to helping others. Knowing that these dangers The dangers of this are clear, and I say with utmost humility, knowing that these dangers apply to me. We simply are young and easily enticed into pride. There are so many of these social media influencers who have nothing to do with a healthy local church. They simply find something that sounds good and post it with little to no thought. One influencer I see pop up on my social media often takes particular scenarios like, I spilled my coffee this morning. Or, the season is changing, which reminds me of the season of singleness God has me in. There's no consideration of what scripture says, authorial intent, or any other exegetical principle. These influencers may simply find something interesting and say it. Many of you may even be tempted here. Perhaps you thought of something clever to comment on a video. Or perhaps you think it would be fun to debate someone in the comment section of a heretical video. Do those sound really specific? (laughs) Trust me. I understand the temptation well. I've done my fair share of, this would be cool to post, or this will raise some eyebrows. I can personally attest to the biggest fuel to this temptation, pride. Whenever I catch myself wanting to post something provocative, it's rarely from a spirit of love or gentleness. But it comes from a desire for people to look at me in a certain way or to spark up some juicy debate. Self-control says that our desires may not be good, and we must evaluate them with an outside grid here are a few principles I think would be helpful in evaluating your social media presence. Number one, we must understand that our job is to not win, not to win every debate, but to fulfill the Great Commission. Christ has ordained the commission to be fulfilled through the work of the local church. It's not that social media is all bad, but if we are continually spending more time sparking up debate online, rather than building the body and sharing the gospel with those around us, then we're wasting our time. We use the means which Christ has ordained, not our own made-up means. The second principle is that credibility isn't inherent. Just because you can voice your opinion does not mean that you should voice it. Credibility is earned, and it certainly cannot be earned by those across a computer screen who cannot see you. Which leads to the last point. It's true that because we're young, we're limited in our own understanding of maturity. As I'm giving you these principles, you may be asking the question Well, Luke, aren't you also young and immature? And you're standing before us today commending us these things? To which I would answer emphatically Yes. I cannot even begin to understand my own immaturity. But what I'm doing today is quite different from what happens on social media. It's actually a good example of what's preferred. I'm not standing before you today on my own accord, but because those who are more mature than me ask me to do so. They have been helping me along the way and keeping me accountable. You guys also see me on a regular basis. You can keep me accountable to follow what I give to you today. In social media, none of these protections are present, which is precisely the problem. Consider how much more effective you can be if you apply these principles. Christ has promised to build the church in Matthew sixteen eighteen. If you free up time by practicing self-control on social media, you will have more time to build the church by offering your gifts to the body. The last area I want to discuss is entertainment. As I've already said, in my own life, this has been one of the more contentious areas to battle self-control. I'm constantly tempted to avoid responsibility by indulging in entertainment. One of the most prominent areas for me is Netflix and YouTube. Nothing is more enticing to me than a good Netflix show or an invigorating YouTube debate. These are not inherently wrong, but the results are the problem. I often indulge in these things to the detriment of my other responsibilities. Even in preparing this sermon, I found myself doing other tasks when I had time to study. You may find yourself avoiding tasks as well. Perhaps those of you are struggling in classes as a result of your own overindulgence. Hanging out with your friends is more enticing than working on your essay for evangelism class. Why is it that entertainment is so enticing as opposed to our responsibilities? I thought through my own thoughts as I overindulge. It's typically that I think entertainment seems more valuable. I don't really believe that working for the kingdom and being faithful to God is worth it. It's too hard. Why would I not just lay on the couch and watch Netflix? The truth is, being faithful to God has tremendously more benefit than entertainment. God has rewards for those who are faithful to Him. He has gone to the point of giving up His Son to die on our behalf so that we might glorify Him. Similarly to the truth that motivates financial self-control, we must understand that we are not our own. Christ is our Master. We can be fruitful in our life as a result of Him saving us. Before, we were slaves to sin and had no hope but now we can be fruitful and faithful to Christ in all areas of our life. As I've already established, Christ has saved you and set you free to be holy. When He saved you, He sealed you with His Holy Spirit. This means that your efforts are not in vain. Christ has promised to work through you and all your efforts. This smashes any sense of self-pity, when you seemingly fail, know that God is working it all out for your good. In Philippians 1.6, Paul says that he is confident that he who began a good work in you will finish it. Consider that. The Apostle Paul is confident in God. I pray that you also be confident in God that he will complete the good work in you, even in the area of self-control. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again for giving me this opportunity and putting those above me to observe me and help me along the way. I pray that if anyone is convicted by this, that they would turn to someone for help and that they would repent of their sin. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.